Good morning. My name is Tim. Uh, this morning, we're going to start a new series through the summer called The Better Way Part 2. It's out of the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus gave, Matthew chapter 5 to 7. So if you want to take your Bibles and be in that vicinity, that would be great. Uh, starting today on July 1st, Canada Day. And uh, you know what that's about, right? Like you do know what Canada Day is about. It's the opportunity to wear red. And I see that many of you missed that opportunity this morning. Uh, but for those of you that did, good on you. I think we should have a special prize. We'll think about that for next year. Um, or maybe for you, it's just, just a significant holiday. Like, you know, like I get Monday off and you're really, really excited about the fact you have a four-day work week next week. But I want to say, I, like Canada Day to me, this is special. Uh, we are commemorating something very significant for our country. 151 years ago, our forefathers got together and across this great vast land of Canada uh, were colonies that had settled in and they decided to become a confederation that they would join together. And so uh, an act was written up called the British North American Act, like a, a framework, like a constitution. Um, they put together so that they envisioned a better way of life uh, within that framework. And in a similar way, as we look at the Sermon on the Mount, we need to see that Jesus is bringing something new, a better way, and he's giving us a framework as to how we should live our lives in that better way. And so if you're here this morning, and you know when we talk about a better way, and we talk about the abundant life that Jesus gives and how it overflows, and if that's not your experience, then I would just really encourage you to dive in with your attention over the next few weeks, because what Jesus is teaching us is desire for our thriving and our flourishing as individuals and as a community. The context of Matthew chapter 5, verse 7, Jesus has just recently begun his ministry. He's, he's adding disciples to his, himself, and he's called his first followers, fishermen like Simon, Peter, and Andrew, James, and John. And then we read this about him in Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. And Jesus went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics, and paralytics, and he healed them. I think they were better for encountering Jesus. And so no wonder, great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. See, when you met Jesus, when you encountered him, your life was better for it, both through your experience of Jesus, but also in what he taught. It was an experience, but also a learning. And in Matthew chapter 5 to 7, the Sermon of the Mount, we have the largest body of, of Jesus' recorded teachings. This is the largest section that we have recorded of what Jesus actually taught. And if, if you were there, think of that, what, what that would have been like to go up on the mountain as you're following Jesus and he sits down and now he's going he's gonna to teach. Wouldn't you, just, wouldn't you just be glued to what he had to say? as he teaches them. And, and Jesus is, 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 I believe, proposing this framework of a better way. And this morning we're going to look at how he touches on three different uh, uh, pieces or components of our lives. Authority, lifestyle, and character. We're going to look at those three things. Authority, lifestyle, and character. And I just want to begin with a prayer. Lord, as we approach your word this morning, uh, we know that these are living words and that uh, you wrote them um, for us, 
And your Holy Spirit can, can just take them and make them come alive to each one of us. Teach us, Lord, this morning. Open our hearts to you. And would you just take your, your word and plant it deep within our hearts that it would bring forth the kind of fruit that you want to have happen as a result of us hanging out together this morning around your word. In Jesus' name. Let me begin with the question of authority. Who is your authority? Who is your authority? When I was a teenager and you're growing up, the idea of having no authority was, uh, was an uh, intriguing thought. Wouldn't it be nice to have no authority? Uh, no one telling you, go to bed. No one telling you, make your bed. No one telling you, get out of bed. All those things as a teenager. And you just you begin to fantasize what it would be like to have no authority. Some of you might remember the phrase, question everything. I think people put it on their bumpers. Question everything. Uh, Joseph Burgo, he's a clinical psychologist. He came of age in the late 60s and 70s. In his own words, he talked about in that, in that time, youth rebellion against authority exerted a profound influence on the entire culture, and it continues to, to influence today, us today. Parent-child relationships, marriage, family, music, politics, Wars, our views of war, in just about every sphere, he said, my generation rebelled against the status quo. And as he writes about this now, decades later, he begins to lament how we have abandoned the virtue of authority. He writes, without authority to curb our antisocial tendencies, anarchy would prevail. If everyone did whatever or he she wanted without regard to restrictions imposed by the social order, civilization could not exist. And of course, it's exactly what we see in our world where, where it's in question who is in government, where there's uprisings or where there is no government, where there's anarchy. People don't thrive in that situation. There's devastation and destruction. There's violence you can see the wisdom behind scriptures of the value of right authority and submission to it. And in scripture, um, it, it, it looks upon those who reject authority as a negative. And so in the book of Judges, where you've got all kinds of things happening with the children of Israel, and they're not really submitting to the authority of God, there's this repeated line, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And that's spoken as a real derogatory term. Things have gotten so bad that everybody's just doing their own thing. That's not a positive, that's a negative. We read in the, in the New Testament, in, for example, Jude chapter 1, where it's talking about the ungodly. It says, in a like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. As we read the Sermon on the Mount, it becomes really clear that Jesus is presented as one who has authority. In fact, at the end of his sermon, in verse 28 and 29 of chapter 7, it says this, And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority, not as the scribes. They recognize, even as they're listening to him, this is one who has authority. And as Matthew's writing this gospel, he's writing it to the Jews primarily, and he's presenting Jesus as the king, the long-awaited king predicted in the Psalms and in the prophets. And what does a king do? A king brings a kingdom, and, and a king brings an order to his kingdom. And so that's part of how Matthew is presenting Jesus. He's also presenting him as the new Moses, so Moses was the lawgiver. He went up on the mountain to receive the law. Jesus gives the law on the mountain. And so he goes up and people follow him. And in that place, he is now giving a new framework, a new order, a new constitution 
whereby people can live. Jesus has the audacity to speak as a higher authority than Moses. So as you, as you read through this uh, teaching, uh, there's a section where Jesus goes, you have heard that it was said, and he refers to the Mosaic law. But I say unto you, in other words, I have a higher authority. And so Jesus extrapolates the law or, or tells, shows how it's fulfilled in a deeper way. He has the authority, has the audacity to, to exhibit that authority over it. And as we read this, this uh, passage of Scripture, we see that it's filled with what we call imperatives. It's filled with Jesus telling us what to do. And you may not be a Jew living by the Jewish law this morning, uh, but we all have a framework. We all have a worldview that we live under, and it becomes an authority as to how we make our choices and how we live our lives. We were looking at one of the first Alpha videos recently as we prepare for um, starting the course here in, in uh, September. And they asked some people, just random people on the street, you know, where they get their framework for life, answers to their questions about life. And the, the number one answer that they showed in the film anyways was the answer, Google. I, I Google it. So if I don't know what my life should look like or how I should live, I just... Google it. And I think, how amazing that is. Like, do you have any idea, like the person that wrote the article that you're going you're gonna to read after Googling and you're going to let it be the authority in your life and you have no idea how their, their information, how their perspective, how their viewpoint works out in their own life and yet you're going to adopt that as your own. You're just going to Google it. Others talk about how, well, I, I find the answers within myself. I just, I don't know. How do you do that? How do you find the answers? Within, do you, where, where do you look? Like, is there a library? Like, but I just find the answers within myself. And when I think about that, knowing myself, I go, are you kidding me? Like, I know, I know how flawed I am. I know how, how weak my knowledge is, how insufficient my knowledge is. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set the framework for my life by, by finding it within myself. I, to me, that just doesn't work. Or, or my feelings. How often do we go, well, it just it felt this way and we and we guide we let the framework for our life be our feelings like this is a common thing today is that a wise smart thing to do listen what the option the alternative that Jesus is putting out here is that we can allow him the, the the God in flesh who created the world and came and walked and lived among us we can allow him to be our authority as he sets the framework for our life I think that's a good thing I just think that's a really good thing and so know that as we hear the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is inviting us to let him, he's not going to force you, he's inviting you to let him be the authority over your life. Last summer, I, I don't know what got into my head, but I decided I was going to travel across Canada. Never happened. But I did fly to Toronto, and then I spent two weeks in uh, Ontario and Quebec. And part of that, I got to be in Ottawa without thinking about it. Hey, it's the 150th year celebration of Canada. And so when I was in Ottawa, they were doing all these special things. One of the things they did was they lit up the parliament buildings every night and did a, an actual presentation. Like, it was, it was absolutely stunning. I was so proud of our country, for how they told the story of our country. But, but having researched the story of our country a little bit more, I know they left some things out. And, and here's what I want us to know this morning. Some of our forefathers said yes to the authority of Jesus. And it had an impact on the decisions that were made for our country. July 1st, Canada Day, was originally known as Dominion Day. 
when it was established in 1879. Now get this. Psalm 72 in your Bible is, is an amazing psalm that really talks about the future of a king. And as you read it, you realize this, this is no ordinary king. It's not David or Solomon or someone that's going to come after them in a natural way. What it's referring to is we realize, because we, we get to look after Jesus, it's referring to Jesus. And it talks about under the rule of that king, the people will thrive. The people will flourish. And Psalm 72 verse 8 says this, He shall have dominion also from sea to sea and from the river unto the ends of the earth. Leonard Tilley, who was one of the, the founding fathers of Confederation when, when all these colonies came together, he was a devout Bible-reading Christian, and he was moved by this psalm. And so when the discussion took place as to what shall we call Canada, like uh, one of the, one of the um, proposals put forward was, let's call it the Kingdom of Canada. But we realized, apparently, that the United States was so insecure that if we called ourselves the Kingdom of Canada, they would be offended. And so that, that didn't wash. That just didn't watch. I can say that. I was born in the States. Okay, don't take offense if you're American. I'm with you. A couple of days later, you can celebrate Independence Day. Yay. So in discussion, Tilly put forward the idea of dominion. Let's call it the dominion of Canada. Moved by Psalm 72, verse 8. And that's what Canada Day was originally called. And of course, we've changed it. Because it seems like we don't want to be God, the authority over our life. But even on the Peace Tower in Parliament Hill, on Parliament Hill, you have these scriptures engraved on the very buildings of our country's capital. He shall have dominion from sea to sea. Who's your authority? Jesus is inviting us for him to be our authority. Next, the question is, how will you live? Proverbs 14, 12 says there's a way that seems right to a person, but the end of that way leads to death. Jesus, Jesus didn't want to just be the authority and have people submit to him. He wanted, to, he wanted for those who are under his authority to know how to live under that authority. Here's how you should then live. So Jesus described himself as the, the way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. He in his personhood is the way. And Jesus modeled the way. And so as he submits himself to the Father, like there is no, there's no human being, because remember, Jesus is fully God, fully human. There is no human being as surrendered to God as Jesus Christ was. And as his humanity, he shows the way, he models the way, fully submitting to the Father. And that submission took him right to the cross, where he made a way for us by dying on the cross. And through his death and the blood that flowed from that and his body broken for us came forgiveness for everyone who, who would believe in him. And through his resurrection, victory over sin and death is secured. And Jesus now sits at the right hand of the Father so that all who believe in him, like their future is secured, a future of victory, an eternal relationship with God. So Jesus is the way. He models the way. He makes a way. But as we read uh, the Sermon on the Mount here, Matthew chapter 5 to 7, he's also teaching us of the way. How do we live under his rule? How do we live under his authority, his kingship? It's really interesting that right from the start, those who were followers of Jesus were referred to as people of the way. 
For example, we read in Acts chapter 9 when, when Saul, who had not yet met, met Jesus, he's, he, hasn't, he hasn't been transformed in his life. He's, he's to, he wants to persecute the Christian. So he, he asks for letters to the synagogues at Damascus. It says in verse 2 of chapter 9, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. They were known as people of the way. There was a pattern to their life. They, they followed the framework that Jesus gave them. They lived within that so that people would say, hey, they are people of the way. There's a pattern as to how they live. I don't know about for you. I think this still happens today. You can run into somebody and, and you, we know after a while, after you've been a Christian for a while, you, you know Jesus' instruction. You know what he's recommending, how we should live. And you run into people and you don't know them yet. You haven't been introduced, but maybe you watch them. Maybe they're serving you, you know, in some way, some capacity at a restaurant or something. You just watch them and you see the little things that they say. And inside of you, you go, I wonder if they're a Christian. I wonder if they're a Christ follower. I wonder if they're a person of the way because they're, they're acting like it. There's little words that come out that, and so, you, you throw out a little tidbit there that's a bit of Christianese or whatever, and it's like a hook, and you, you want to see if they bite on that. And then they do, and you go, oh, yeah. And then you can go deeper in your conversation, and you talk about how you're followers of Jesus and your faith in Jesus because you recognize by how that person lived, their mannerisms, they were a person of the way. Jesus is the way of life, and there is a way to follow him. And this sermon invites us into that, the way of Jesus. This is not legalism. Legalism is, is there's a lawgiver who tells you what to do, and if you do it right, then you might have a relationship with him. This is not that. Some have suggested that because Jesus spoke these words, and there's so many imperatives, that, that these words no longer apply to us because this is before the cross, and this is before the resurrection. The, the good news comes after that, but that, that's a complete mistaken understanding of what's going on here. Jesus is preparing his followers, like for the rest of their lives as the, the community of God, how they should live under his rulership, not just when he's with them, but when he's gone. This is how you should then live. This is, you live in this framework. This is how you're going to thrive. He's inviting them into us, knowing that if they live this way, as Jesus intended for them to do, it will create a movement of people who will become followers of Jesus because the way of Jesus is so attractive. It's so beautiful if we would just live the way that he's instructed us to live. At our AGM last Sunday, we talked about where churches can be at in their, in their life history, that some churches are declining, some are plateaued, some churches are starting to grow or are growing, some churches are reproducing. But, but the most exciting thing is when churches become a movement Bob Roberts, who wrote a book called Transformation, talks about the movements that he's seen in other cultures, not so much in North America, but as he's traveled in the East and in some of these underground churches, the movement of God that's happening there. As people come to faith in Christ, um, they, they lead a small group or a small house church. More people come to faith in Christ. New leaders are established. They lead another small group or house church, and it just begins to multiply virally. They become movements. And he, he, he says, how does this happen? It's because they are transformed by the way. He points us to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. They are unlikely people to us. They're poor in spirit. They don't have much. They have suffered. They have mourned. They're not able to mount a social action against oppression that they might be experiencing. 
But they are blessed. As Jesus begins this sermon saying, blessed are you who are poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are you who mourn. See, what Jesus is saying is the way into the kingdom will in no way be by our effort or or our striving. It is a gift of grace. You will just be blessed by God as you place yourself under his authority. You will be blessed by him. And the most unlikely people, the most unlikely descriptions of those who are blessed begin this Sermon on the Mount, and we call it the Beatitudes. It is grace found in the most unlikely places given as a gift And as they experience that grace, then Jesus is saying, this is how I want you to live in my kingdom. This is the framework. And as you follow me, it will lead to so much better. It will lead to life, and it leads to more life. Multiplication, it leads to movements. Authority, a way of living. Thirdly, let's talk about character. The question, what are you like? Jesus, I believe, is after transformation from the inside out. Legalism is outward conformity so that you can conform to the status of your community or the people that whoever you want to impress, maybe even yourself. But Jesus is after something different. He's after a heart transformation. This new way of Jesus is to, to, and to penetrate every part of our lives and for every part of our lives to be transformed. This is so different from a transactional view that that can be so common, where our view of Christianity is, well, Jesus died for my sins, rose from the dead, I'm going to believe that, I'm going to receive this gift of eternal life, and that's that. It's a transactional view. This is not what Jesus has in mind. N.T. Wright, in his book, After You Believe, Why Christian Character Matters, and he's talking after... uh, Uh, after reflecting on the Sermon on the Mount, we urgently need to recapture the New Testament's vision of a genuinely good human life as a life of character formed by God's promised future. As we read Matthew 5 to 7, as we go through it, we're going to find that Jesus' teaching here isn't typically what we might find really exciting There's nothing here about his ministry that that they watched him do and receive when it came to healing or delivering of demons. The kind of things that are really, ah, it's, it's exciting. What we find here is Jesus teaching his disciples in particular how to live in the everyday sort of opportunities of life as as just life comes at you and the decisions that you're going to make. And it touches on so many things. Relationships. How are you going to handle anger? Um, Your thought life, um, sexuality, um, your commitments when it came to oaths, when it came to marriage, how you're going to handle wealth. Are you going to be anxious about things? It just goes on and on, and it just touches so many areas of our life. Because what Jesus has in mind is that his way will transform everything about us and every area of our life. It is not transactional, it's transformational. This is what Jesus has in mind. It's less flashy, but I believe Jesus wants people who are powerful people who operate in his ministry the way that he operated in the gifts of the Spirit and healing and deliverance and all those things. But what Jesus has in mind is that it be coupled with what he's taught, the way that people will walk in such a way that they're filled with God's character and bring that together is the most powerful thing and creates a movement. And that's what he had in mind. Character, character, powerful people, living his way under his authority. As Jesus ends his talk here, we'll be left with the question, how is your hearing? 
Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who builds his house upon the rock. I think we all know what a parent means when they, when they look at their child and they say to the, their child, you're not listening to me. What do they mean? They didn't hear? Like they, they, they had earmuffs on or whatever? No, we know what the parent means when they say that. You, you didn't listen in a way that it moved you to obey. You didn't listen in a way that followed what I was asking of you. And as this Sermon on the Mount will end, this is how Jesus ends it. Everyone then who hears these words of mine, and that, that word here can mean to hear under. It carries with it the idea of submission, that as you hear something, you're hearing with the intent that you're going to bring yourself into submission and that you're going to do it as instructed. And some of Jesus' content is radical, but we need to apply each and every part. Elsewhere in his book, Transformation, Bob Roberts, uh, he talks about the life of Gandhi and how this, you know, this small man had such a large influence on the nation of India in its relationship to Britain in, in the area of, of women's human rights. Gandhi did not believe in Jesus as his savior, but I don't know if you know this, but he meditated and read uh, about two hours a day in Jesus' Gospels. Two hours a day reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Gandhi would say that most of what he did and, and, and the way he lived was inspired by these very words in Matthew chapter 5 to 7, the Sermon on the Mount. Roberts asked the question, how is it that a man without Christ can change a nation and Christians who possess the Holy Spirit so often don't? Here's his answer. Gandhi understood the cross as a lifestyle as an act to be emulated, whereas most Christians understand the cross as a theology to be believed. The kingdom of God is a radical message meant to be lived out in radical lives, which then historically and culturally have radical results. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who builds his house upon the rock. I love interacting with some of um, the seniors in this church. I love interacting with our young adults. And as I do, sometimes I see such charactered people. I see how people have submitted themselves to the Father's authority, how they, they are living in his way, and how God is developing their character. It's, it's so beautiful. We have so many seniors in this church that are not grumpy old men and women, but are beautiful men and women that have, over, you know, over decades, made these little choices, say yes to Jesus, obedience to Jesus and then at the end of their life there's such beauty and there's such a beautiful trail of a legacy behind them because they've been walking in the way and, and they've allowed God through their yeses to develop their character. It's such a beautiful thing. When we read the parable of the soils in Matthew chapter 13 later, he's going to talk again about how we hear. And there, there's a number of different soils that just don't cut it. And it has all to do how we hear. But the, the soil that, that be, bears fruit and multiplies is the kind of soil, that it, the good soil, it's that one who hears the word, understands it, and he indeed bears fruit and yields. He perseveres. That person perseveres. And so as I think about this summer, and, and how we can apply what Jesus is going to teach us. 
Wouldn't it, be, wouldn't it just be the right thing to do that every time we hear, we see God's words and we, we, we come approaching with humble hearts, that we let it penetrate our lives and where our lives need to be transformed, unless you're perfect already, but if your life needs to be transformed, you just let that word of God massage your life and, and, and you bring yourself, you make a little decision to, to, to change your way so that it aligns with Jesus' way and then decision after decision, your character gets built and you grow and you thrive and the people around you, it's different. We, we thrive together as we grow in our relationship with Christ. And then as people see us, they go, what have you got? I want that. And, then, and that multiplies. Other people come on this journey of the way as we follow Jesus. As he builds his character in us, as we live in his way under his beautiful reign, the king of kings, his authority, in verse 13 of Matthew chapter 5, I believe Jesus is, is, is setting the picture for how he wants us to live this way, that we would simply live what he's already called us to be. He says, you are the salt of the earth. You follower of Jesus, you need to know this. You are the salt of the earth. Are you a follower of Jesus? You need to know this. You are the light of the world. You're like a city set on a hill. Salt and it is such a good thing. It preserves. It, it causes something to taste better. Uh, in, in those times, a city lit up. It would be like, oh, you're traveling and you're in the dark. But then uh, uh, over the horizon, you see the light of the city and it brings hope because you know when you get there, you're going to be safe. There's going to be shelter and food and all those things that you need. Do you see what Jesus is saying is, as I work in you and you live in my way, under my authority, you are going to be good. You're going to be good for each other. You're going to be good for the world. Now, here's how I want you to live. And I want to transform you. Jesus hasn't talked about the provision of the Holy Spirit yet, but no doubt, as we walk in this way, his spirit comes and enables us, transforms us, creates changed people who create changed churches, who create changed cities, who create changed nations, a movement for his glory, his kingdom. I want to pray for us. Father, thank you for giving us your son, Jesus. Thank you that Jesus lived among us. He showed us the way. We thank you that he is the way. We thank you, Lord, for the things that Jesus taught us so that we know how to live, Lord, under your beautiful rule. I want to pray this morning and for this summer that as we look in particular at this, these teaching of Jesus, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would continually be active in our lives, just bringing it um, clearer to our understanding and then helping us, Lord, to live it out so that we might be transformed from one glory to another, reflecting you, loving each other, loving our world as you work in us, Lord. We want you to be glorified. We want you, Lord, for people to be drawn unto you. Lord, may we be part of that way in Jesus' name. Amen.